This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 423 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our wonderful sponsors this week are Equestrian Collections and listeners like you, our auditors. Author Elizabeth Letts joins us to talk about her amazing book, The Perfect Horse, The Daring U.S. Mission to Rescue the Priceless Stallions Kidnapped by the Nazis. Plus, our Equestrian Collections product review is the Gatsby Nylon Breakaway Halter. Listen in. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network International Podcast Day is September 30th and you can help spread the word. International Podcast Day is dedicated to promoting podcasting worldwide. You may be asking, what can I do to get involved? It's pretty simple. First, head over to internationalpodcastday.com and check the suggestions. Second, use hashtag podcast day to join in the conversation. Remember September 30th. Now, let's start the conversation. That's right. It is International Podcast Day this Friday, and we're encouraging all of our listeners on Friday to do a couple of things. One is we would love for you to go on Facebook and tell everybody why you listen to the shows you listen to. Maybe put a link to the Stable Scoop or the Horse Radio Network website and tell everybody how passionate you are about listening to the show. Kind of give them an education on online radio. We had this whole conversation on the Auditor Facebook page about people go out and they try and talk to people about podcasts, but they still don't know what a podcast is. We're still running into that problem all these years later, Helena. So it's almost easier to say it's an internet radio show. You listen on the internet or you listen on your phone. Mention to people that they, they can download the Horse Radio Network app, iOS or Android, or take their phone from them, go to the app store and download it for them and show them how easy it is to listen to a show. I, it, your help would be greatly appreciated. It's, it's one day a year year that we really have you push getting the word out about us. If everybody goes to what, two or three people, Helena, we triple the size of our audience. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be nice? At your barn, at your place of work, if you have work with other horse people and on Facebook, on Twitter, any of the social media you do, uh, just help us get the word out. Later in the week, we are going to have some artwork that you'll be able to share as well. So look for that on our Facebook pages and you can just share that. So that'll be on all the Facebook pages later in the week. So any help you can give us on Friday, we would certainly appreciate it. Helene and I love the fact that you listen, and we'd love to have a ton more of you out there. If you're an auditor, it's a requirement. You just don't have a choice because we're making it. Because you're family. That's right. Family has to cooperate. Um, And then the other thing that's very, very exciting is, and this just worked out this way. We didn't plan it this way. 
It will be our 5,000th episode on Horses in the Morning on Friday morning, International Podcast Day. It's going to be the 5,000th episode that we have done on Horse Radio Network. So, And there are very few networks in the podcast world that have hit 5,000 episodes. I, I asked around to Dave and, and some of our other friends, Alina, in the podcast world, and their guess was 5 to 10 at the most. So we're an elite company, and we want to celebrate with you. Uh, we're, we're opening up the phones uh, live on, on Horses in the Morning on Friday morning from 9.30 to 10.30. Give us a call. Say hi. We're going to have uh, all our ho- hosts call in and say hi and hang out. So it's just going to be a big party. We would love to have you join us on Horses in the Morning, 9.30 to 10.30 Eastern. Give us a call. We'll post the phone numbers on our Facebook pages. It's 435 272 and we just want to hear from as many listeners as possible and in that hour period of time we'd love to have you join us and just uh, just celebrate with us and have fun with us and of course i have to thank all the sponsors and all our auditors and the hosts especially one helena b who has been here since day one so since negative day one thousand episodes that's just when I think about that, I get tired. Actually, five thousand. Tired. Know. You're a busy dude. <laughs> I'm tired. But yeah. I, <laughs> that's Didn't a you lot just come back from vacation, though? Yes, we did actually. Uh, and everything's happening at once. We got International Podcast Day, the five thousand episode mark. You know, we haven't been celebrating all the marks that we come to because we have so many the milestones. But you know, yeah. five thousand episodes is pretty. When I tell other podcasters that, they just they just don't believe it. Because if if you're doing one podcast, you hit two or three hundred, you're excited um, that you've made it that far, number one, and that you've gone that long, which is a couple of years usually if you're doing a weekly one. Heck, so, I'm only on episode 31. And you're excited, right? I mean, you should tired. be. You should yeah. be, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, Jeez, when we started, they that. said, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> What are we going to talk about? Two people who can gab? Yeah, but they didn't that what they asked us? What are you going to talk about after a couple of weeks? You've talked about everything. We've interviewed over 6,200 guests. Oh, I mean. And that's just, and there's more out there. Uh, well, every week. <laughs> there are more, there are more out there we've yet to interview. We have a great one coming up today and Elizabeth Letts, the author, we're so excited to have her, by the way, that she's kind enough to do this with us. Um, she's kind of famous. With, she wrote The $80 Champion and now this new book, which I'm absolutely loving. But, you know, these people are gracious enough to give their time to us to come on our little show yeah. uh, and, and to you, the listeners, to share what they have to talk about. And our listeners this year, our numbers are up this year because people love hearing about other horse people. So yeah, we'll never run. We'll never ever run out of guests. You're doing a show on a town, Newport. You're never going to run out of guests. A, a town and love. Yeah. Romance. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking, but you have a limited number. What? There's 60,000 people that live there. Maybe. Uh, is that a, right? a little more than that? Yeah. Yeah. So because well, it's the whole it covers the whole sort of area. But yeah, we got uh Yeah. I mean there's no limit. It it's it's a global destination. So we can really pick anybody or any place in the world and it has some you connection have back to not asked Jennifer and I to come on and talk about our honeymoon in Newport yet. You're on our list. You're okay. on our guest list. Just checking. Just we're checking. booked, baby. We we're did booked. honeymoon there. So just saying. Now that was thirty years ago, but 
Well, we're going to, I'm waiting and to compare notes. So after Buck and I go through our major milestone, then we'll have you and Jen on and we can talk, we can compare notes. Oh, darn. Why don't I have the wedding music again? But I don't. I, don't. <laughs> I love to catch you off guard. <laughs> yeah, you, you did catch me off guard. I don't have the wedding music. Oh, <laughs> darn it. <laughs> so yeah, we will be, uh, we, we will be doing that on Friday morning. That is the, what's the date? Uh, the 30th. So look for it then. We'd love to have you join us then. So you want to go on with today's show? We can go on with today's show. We have a cool guest. We've got two cool guests, actually. One cool guest and one cool product reviewer. Yes, we do. And right after this word from Equestrian Collections, we're going to talk to Elizabeth Letts. She's an author, best-selling books. She wrote The $80 Champion, The Story of Snowman. And also, she just finished a book called The Perfect Horse, The Daring U.S. Mission to Rescue the Priceless Stallions Kidnapped by the Nazis. And I'm a history nut. I'm loving this book. Did you know that Equestrian Collections has a monthly outfit giveaway? That's right. This month's sweepstakes ends on the 7th of October and includes a complete Noble Outfitters outfit. Signature breeches, performance shirts, Noble Outfitters back-to-back belt, on-the-bit bracelet, and over-the-calf petties, a $250 value. You can enter at equestriancollections.com slash sweepstakes. Too late for this giveaway? Then there's always a new one. So stop over to equestriancollections.com slash sweepstakes every month to register to win. Plus, winter is on the way sooner than you think, and Equestrian Collections has a complete line of winter clothing for you and your horse. Visit Equestrian Collections today to check out all the winter options. EquestrianCollections.com is your source for winter gear that you will need this year. Well, hi, Elizabeth. Welcome back to the Horse Radio Network. It's been a few years. It has, and I'm so glad to be back. Well, we so enjoyed talking to you about your last book, The $80 Champion, of course, the story of Snowman. But now I am a history nut. Helena will verify that. Emphasis I, on nut. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love history. I love World War II history especially. And this book is right up my alley. What we're talking about is The Perfect Horse, The Daring U.S. Mission to Rescue the Priceless Stallions Kidnapped by the Nazis. So just... Before, just give us the overview of the book, and then we'll get into more detail, because I've listened to about half of it now. Sure. Well, it's the incredible story. It's a true story, and it takes place just in the very last days of World War II, where it turns out that during the war, the Germans had gone all over the parts of Europe that they were occupying and taken all of the most valuable horses. And in particular, they had taken the, the white lippets honor of uh, Vienna, Austria, as well as some of the world's most priceless Arabian horses. And they had put them all in a single stud farm. And it was in a, in a very hidden place on the border of Czechoslovakia where they thought that the horses would be safest. But unfortunately, Believe it or not, the Germans who had gotten into, you know, all kinds of terrible things during the war were trying to apply some of their racial theories that they had about people to horses. And these white horses, they were going to try to breed the perfect horse. 
And not just the perfect horse. Actually, they wanted to breed the perfect military horse. But as the war was ending, this little enclave that they thought was so safe wasn't so safe anymore because the Russian army was approaching. And by the end of April 1945, the big giant red army was just, a, you know, maybe less than a day's uh, journey away. And the Russian army was, was starving. And so they were slaughtering livestock, including horses, as they went to feed their hungry troops. The Germans who were on the ground taking care of the horses had been told to stay and fight. But because these Germans were, above all, horse people, they couldn't stand the thought that these horses would be lost in the war for no reason. And so, unbeknownst to them, just on the other side of the border in Germany was a group of American soldiers. And when the American soldiers got wind of the fact that these priceless horses were nearby, they decided to see if they could do a secret mission into Czechoslovakia to rescue the horses with the cooperation of these German horsemen. And what was so incredible about this was the fact that they, Americans were not allowed to go into Czechoslovakia at all. That was Russian territory. That had already been decided by Roosevelt and Stalin. They were not supposed to sneak across enemy lines and certainly not to rescue horses. But you're all horse people, and I am a horse person, and what we know is that horse people will do anything for horses. <laughs> and that's what happened. Boy, and that really... I Go ahead. Sorry. I'm like at the edge of my seat oh, right now. Oh, you will be when you're listening to this book, reading this book, too. I, I am. How did you first, when did you first hear of this story, Elizabeth? Well, it's really interesting how I came across the story. So many of your listeners may be familiar with an old Disney movie called The Miracle of the White Stallions, yeah. which came out in 1962. But oddly enough, because I'm a little bit younger, I had never seen that movie or heard of it. And I also had never really heard, many many people have sort of at least heard in passing that um, the re- Lippets on her were rescued by the Americans. I had never heard it at all. So I was in Virginia researching the $80 champion. I had a fellowship at the National Sporting Library in Virginia, which is the, the United States and really one of the world's premier. We just had library. them on the show. A couple um, a couple weeks ago, actually. Yeah. They're incredible. And they had given me a fellowship uh, to do research, for which I'm extremely grateful. And I was researching the $80 champion. I was just sort of looking at things about horses. I mean, the uh, military horses just passed very, very briefly in the story of the $80 champion because some thought that Snowman may have been sired by an army stallion. So I found this box, and in the box there were these pamphlets about army horses, and I found this kind of dog-eared old pamphlet, and it said, A Parade of European Horses, and it was in Virginia in 1946, and it was really just a a, a pamphlet. It was made out of paper, and I flipped it open, and somebody had written uh, notes in pencil on this document, and they were still there, but the names of the horses, they were Polish Arabians and and Lipizzans from Yugoslavia and Austria. And I thought, what is this? This doesn't make any sense. Why are these horses here? And then further intriguing me was whoever had had this, whatever anonymous person had had this pamphlet in the first place, had penciled their notes about the horses in the margins. And they had written things like, these are the world's most extraordinary horses. 
you know, or priceless or incredible, you know, things like that. And here I'm holding this document in my hand and I don't know why the, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why. That was how I discovered the story. And that was what made me, you know, pursue it and pursue it um, until I figured it out. The detail and I'm I'm up to the point where we're starting to talk about the Americans now. So, yes. But the de- the first basically half of the book is all about what was happening in Russia with the Germans and 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 the Nazis and and the Russians yes. and all that stuff. What was happening in Germany? I mean, and and how many times these poor horses had to move. Um, oh. just incredible detail. And I realize it's a historical novel, but how did you get all the details, especially when it comes to Gustav Rau, who was the guy, it was Hitler's chief of horse breeding who had all these uh, dreams of making the, the perfect white horse. Um, did he leave diaries? How did you get so much detail on the plans and what they had hoped to do? Well, that part of the story was, was very interesting to me. And what, what happened was interesting when you look at World War II history from the European perspective. Um, some there are pieces of what happened in Germany and Austria and Czechoslovakia um, during the war that that have n- really not been looked at very much by historians until fairly recently. You know, you would think that absolutely every detail had been uncovered, but really, um, you know, the German horsemen, the Austrians, they had no real interest in sort of going back into what was going on in the war because it didn't always reflect very well upon them. And so, however, more recently, there has been some scholarship, and most of it has been in Germany. And so that is where I was able to find some of these stories. One of the best resources was a book that was published by a man whose father was a a stud farm director in Poland during the war, uh, he was a German man who had been sent to Poland um, to run a horse farm. And he had had to flee this horse farm during the war. Uh, during the time that he was fleeing, he was a 10-year-old boy, and he had to drive a a, uh, a, a wagon with two Lipizzaner stallions um, and flee as the Russians were advancing. And his father um, had died on the trip, and his mother died on the trip, and he ended up um, you know, alone with this herd of horses. And it had marked him, of course, for life. And so much later, he went back to try to uncover the history. And he had written rather a long um, book all about uh, the horses and the horse breeding in uh, Germany, Poland. But um, it was all in German. So that was kind of thing. Yeah. I'm. I, I'm like speechless. I'm listening to you well, give these accounts. And, and-, and the thing that I did, I knew a little bit about the raid. I knew a little bit about getting the Lipizzaners back. But mm-hmm. what I didn't know was how how much emphasis the Nazis put on the horses. And and what we yeah. forget, too, is there are millions. Of, we always talk about the horses killed in World War One. There were millions of horses killed. And we've mm-hmm. done we've done stories on that, right, Helena, about World War One yep. and yeah. the horses. But Funny. there were just as many in World War Two. Um, right. And people don't realize that horses played a big part in that war. It wasn't all tanks. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that was one of the most curious things for me, because going in, I didn't know that either. I didn't know um, why. You know, it was surprising to me when they wanted to breed the perfect military horse. Well, why? I mean, this is, you know, you're thinking about tanks and airplanes in World War Two. 
But when you look at the, um, the, the German and the Russian side, they used horses as much as in World War One, mostly for pulling heavy artillery. Also, there were mounted cavalry. Um, and then there was also the prestige wing of these uh, military jumping teams and horse shows and everything, um, because the horse hadn't lost its status, you know, during World War But at that time, um, the horse played such a central role in in people's worldviews is the only way I could really explain it. I mean, it was, even if they weren't necessarily, even if the tanks and the airplanes had, had come along, the the people who had trained in the cavalry and who were born, most of these officers, let's say they were born around the turn of the 20th century, they they hadn't realized that, that the horse, the era of the horse cavalry was over. They They simply couldn't imagine that. It was unimaginable to them. And that was a very big factor. And I think that's one of the things I really try to look at a lot in the book is that they were steeped in horse culture. And it was a horse culture that had been, you know, developed since, since antiquity, um, men and horses and war. And that had been a thousand years that that, that that had been going on. So if you went and you asked people in 1943, 1944, um, you know, well, these tanks and these airplanes, obviously we don't need the horses anymore. They didn't say immediately like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. No, there was a, 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 still a lot of people who thought that, that the horse had not lost its utility yet as a, as a warrior. The other thing that I found fascinating and that uh, very interesting is you go, into so, you go into such great depth on uh, things that I knew about, but I didn't know where they came from. I'll give you one example, the Achenbach method. So if you're mm-hmm. a driver like I am, you, we have all heard of the Achenbach method. By the way, I suck at it, Elizabeth. So, um, and that's driving. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> that's driving with one hand. Uh, and so uh-huh. like if you have a four in hand, Helena, all the reins are in one hand. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and I didn't know where that came from. And then how forward seat came to the United States. That was very interesting to learn. So, But if you're not a horse person, you did a good job of explaining all of these things and, and relaying why they were important. We kind of, as horse people, get it. Like why, a forward, why learning forward seat was important, we kind of get that. But mm-hmm. as a non-horse person, you go, what the hell is that? And I don't care. But you yeah. kind of did a you did a really good job in this book, and I wrote I saw a lot of comments on Amazon like this for the non horse person of really getting the point across about why these horses were so important to the world, not just not to just Vienna and to Austria, who you know they were heroes in Austria, right. the horses, but it, you really got the point across that the Germans valued them. The only ones that really didn't value them in this value them in this whole equation was the Russians. Um, yes, yeah. that's true. And, I, you know, I, I really looked into that issue deeply because I certainly, I mean, the Germans obviously did many very they bad things. They spent a ton of money. I, I didn't realize that you either. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I thought, well, you know, I got to make sure that this really isn't just propaganda, that, that um, oh, the Russians were bad. But when I really looked at it and I looked at what became of the horses that were taken by the Russians versus what became of the horses that were um, in the care of the Germans, it was absolutely clear that the horses that were in the care of the Germans fared better. Um, mm. Whatever you may think of everything else, you know, obviously the Nazis were horrible in what they did to human beings. But if you looked at their record with the horses on balance, the horses probably fared better 
uh, because of, of what the Germans did. That being said, though, Gustav Rau, this, this German, he was the chief equerry, which means the sort of head horseman honcho um, during the Third Reich. Um, he, he was very busily sending horses very far east to Poland, to Ukraine, which is very, very far from Germany, obviously, because he was going to build this entire new empire of horse breeding, um, not for the benefit of the people that were there, but for the benefit of this German empire. And then as the war started to turn against them, the Russians started to push back, and now these horses were in their path where they might not otherwise have been in the path of the army. So... Um, they were very diligent about trying to save the horses um, and, and caring for them. But at the same time, their actions also put the horses in danger, no doubt. I would love to know how you started your research for this book and then where it took you, because I I can imagine a, a series of twists and turns. And I just have this image of you sitting in the libraries and actually having to page through <laughs> real paper-bound bound yeah, books. Yeah. yeah. What was the research portion of this project like? Well, you know, it was grueling and arduous. (laughs) And I didn't, you know, when I wrote The $80 Champion, I put a tremendous amount of research into that book, too. I mean, people might think, oh, you know, she just kind of uh, interviewed Harry a couple times and and wrote down. No, not at all. I mean, I had had, um, gone into the um, historical record very, very carefully, double-checked, you know, old 50-year-old uh, um, copies of the uh, the Chronicle of the Horse for horse show results. And, you know, so I thought it seemed like a very big um, and, and difficult project when I took that on. I did not know what I was getting myself into when I had this idea that I wanted to write about the story of the rescue of the, of the Lippitz Honor. I had no idea where it was going to take me. And it was a lot of time... Um, in libraries. I was in the National Archives in Washington, D.C., pulling out old military records. I was scouring the German literature, trying to find sources that would, um, that would tell me what happened from the German perspective. And um, I went to the International Museum of the Horse in, in Lexington, Kentucky, where they had an entire collection of um, documents and photographs about uh, Vitesh, who is the Arabian Stallion, who was among the Lippitz Honor, and he, he plays a big part in my story. I follow his story um, all the way back uh, to California. And um, so it was, it, it was a big, big story um, with a lot of moving parts, and it was very complicated. And I spent a lot of time also, my editor at Random House, who's a brilliant woman, um, was, you know, she really made me go back at it and go back at it and go back at it to figure out the best way to organize it because I wanted the book to be accessible, interesting, page-turner, gripping. But I still had to also deal with the fact that there were it's a big story. And it has been so gratifying to me um, the way that readers have responded to the story. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. And I have to say, as a, as a writer, it, it, it made me so happy because I feel like I succeeded in taking this enormous amount of information and somehow 
bringing it into a form that people can read and enjoy, you know, find it as a, a gripping story. I was hiding under the desk during the bombing scenes. Uh, <laughs> I, it was it was it was that gripping. And of course, you know, some of these people had dozens of horses with them and a very few, very few handlers, uh, yeah. very few horsemen. And they're going hundreds of miles during bombing campaigns and in trains and all this stuff. And oh as gosh. horse people, we're going, my horse would have been out of here. Uh, you know, I, I would never have seen oh, my horse again. <laughs> I simply, well, I'm in awe. One of the things that's studying the history of, of horsemen in the 20th century is that I'm, I'm truly in awe of them, that, that I feel like they were horsemen to a degree that perhaps maybe we will never fully understand. And that's even me, where I started riding at a very young age and always kept my horses at home. So I thought I was pretty, you know, pretty like one of those horse people who knows. And, um, you know, I went all the way through Pony Club up to the, the HA level, and et cetera. But not, I never, it's beyond anything I can imagine how skilled these people were. Not just dedicated, but skilled. Because imagine that you've got bombs flying all around, and you've got, you know, three or four hundred purebred Arabians, stallions, young stallions, mares and foals. And you're going to move them overland with, like you said, very few people, no, no trailer, no truck, no bandages, nothing. Just there you go. Life Just or death. Luck and skill. But, you know, you think about, I don't know, when I think about the stories of horses or any stories about the wars, um, I, I just don't seem to take into the I don't seem to take in the horse's temperament. You know, you, mm -hmm. it's, it's like they weren't different back then than they are now. Their temper mm -hmm. temperaments were still very much the same, so the degree of difficulty yeah. would be what we would deal with today times a thousand because you have, uh, I don't know, a war going on. But then, so, but then again, think about it this way. Sometimes I think about this. You know, we've seen some very devastating things where horses have been caught in the paths of natural disasters in the last five years or so. And, and what do you see? You see horse people going into the disaster areas yep. to get horses out under very difficult situations because that's what we have to do. We, we're, we're compelled to do it. So in that sense, I don't know that we have changed that much, you know? Well, not us and, and at all. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of consistent. And, you know, because I'm thinking, well, what would enable these people to do what they needed to do despite the fact that you have, I don't want to call them high strung, but high mm -hmm. energy horses and difficult circumstances, there must mm -hmm. be something about having to do it under survival conditions versus us who have them as recreational mm -hmm. animals and hobbies is, mm -hmm. is how could we possibly overcome all the obstacles of getting done what they needed to get done? There must be something about that. Um, the context of pure survival where things so. just seem to work out better. But also, too, and this is, um, you know, what, what you find, because the way that my book is set up, I, I set the whole scene in, in uh, Europe, but then I shift over to the United States, and I made the decision to go back a little bit in time and show our American soldiers before the war started as they were training as horse people. And um, you start to read about what the American cavalry was doing, the way that they trained cavalry soldiers in the 20th century. So this is not the Cowboys and Indians era at all. This is um, leading up to World War II. We were still training massive numbers of soldiers on horseback. And what they did also 
in order the kind of training that they would do. You know, they would they had to get their horse off the picket line, um, completely tacked up, mounted in under eight minutes. They would go out into Fort Riley, Kansas, into these vast open spaces. And then at a flat-out gallop in a flock of, there would be, you know, a hundred of them or something, with carrying flags and guns. And then as anything that was in their path, whether it be steep embankments or ditches or fences, flying over them, you know, sort of like, you know, riding a, a, an advanced cross-country course, um, you know, in a, with a hundred other people with you, you know. I mean, sort of a little bit like fox hunting, I guess, in a way. So, um, but they were very trained, you know, they, they were, and they would go out on these hundred-mile rides. Um, and these are all things that have survived into the modern era. We still have endurance riding, and we still have... Um, you know, three-day eventing, one of the things I thought was really interesting, which I didn't know, was that originally it was called the military. Um, so all of these things have survived into the modern era in a, in slightly different forms. But many of these um, American cavalry soldiers, they could do all of them um, brilliantly in their sleep. You know, they were just so highly trained. Okay, don't tell me any more about that part, because that's where I am right now. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm with uh, Colonel Hank Reed, and I'm doing all that, and the Buffalo Soldiers, and all that stuff. So that's yeah. where I am right now, and I'm just uh, waiting to listen to the rest of this. This is a great book. Um, the, it is The Perfect Horse, The Daring U.S. Mission to Rescue the Priceless Stallions Kidnapped by the Nazis. I know you can get it on Amazon. Is it is it everywhere else as well, or is there, is there a special thing for going to your website? What Where should we tell them to go? I mean, really, this book, you should be able to find it pretty much everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at, at um, Barnes & Noble. You can get it at your local independent bookstore. Um, I mean, it's been on the bestseller list for the last four weeks. Yay! Fortunately. A horse book on the bestseller so, list. <laughs> right. Isn't yes. that great? So, um, you know, it's, it's pretty widely available. Um, it's been in Costco, which is always a, a nice uh, discount place to get a really good price. So, um you should be able to find it if you're looking for it. There is also really a great audio edition, and I always um, recommend that to, to because some horse people were just so busy. Yeah, that's my um, situation. You know, that but now you, I miss the pictures. If you're hauling your horses, you pop it into the to listen to it. You know, um, but yes, you do miss the pictures. Yeah, and I think the pictures would be fun to see. I'm going to get a copy of the book. i got to look at the pictures. So, library, here I come. Um, because I do want to see the pictures in this book. Uh, Helena, you got to listen to it. As exciting as she made it sound here, it's more exciting listening to the book. Uh, I want to read the book. Yeah, because you just... You just live through it with those people handling those horses and and uh, the things they went through. Just incredible. Well, well, thank you. You're very good. Is there a next book now? Please we, make yeah, more we're books. Due you, but we're due <laughs> to have you back in five years. Uh, what, yes, what's the next yes. one? <laughs> well, I'm working on something, but I'm actually, it's not even, the cat's not even out of the ah, bag yet. Okay. So. And it does take me a while um, it, yeah. just because, you know, I am so meticulous with my research. Um that I can't just kind of crank them out, but I have had such a... Is it horse-related? I'm sorry? Is um, it horse-related? Oh, 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 yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. We got that out of her, so that's good. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I've had such a fantastic response. Um, Five stars with 80 reviews on Amazon so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I got to tell you, that was not what I thought when I was halfway through the research. <laughs> I used to just pull my hair out and despair and cry. So, you know, it was a lot of hard work, but I'm very happy 
that. I mean, I have to tell you, one of the things that, that was so great was I got an email from uh, the nephew of Colonel Hank Reed, who's one of the heroes in my story, and uh, recently, and he said, I not only did I hear a lot of these stories straight from the horse's mouth, but I was actually present for some of them. And he said, you brought them alive in a way that I really didn't think would be possible. And he said, I think Colonel Reed would be proud. And that oh, really wow. touched my heart. Oh, wow. That's cool. Very cool. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. We appreciate you being on again, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. This Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Equestrian Collections at equestriancollections.com. Welcome, Danielle, to the Stable Scoop Radio Show. You're going to talk to us about the Gatsby Nylon Breakaway Halter today, aren't you? I am. I love breakaway halters. Coach Jen first introduced me to the concept of having a halter that should break away years ago. And I have some in my barn that are not breakaway, and they just sit there collecting dust. Uh, whenever I need to use a halter of any kind, I always go for the breakaways. So why don't you start with telling us what your first impression of this halter was? Yeah, when it first came, um, I liked the look of it, um, and it comes in many different colors. I got the black one. Initially, when I looked at it, the snap that closes under the jaw has a closure that I've in the past I haven't liked. So I was like, oh, no, I don't want to give a bad review on the air. I already don't like this. But then I started playing with it, and it was actually really easy to use. The ones I've used before were really stiff and just not worth uh, playing Did it have that little tongue, really well. that little tongue yeah. thing that you have to push the in? Flat yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this one works really easy. Like it goes on, clicks on really easy and you click it off really easy. So like when I first got it, I was a little nervous. But then when I played with it, I was like, okay, this is good. But otherwise, like it's a nice um, cheap, like it's not a very expensive halter. So it's a very good everyday halter. You're not afraid to use it and ruin it. It also comes in many cool colors. So if you wanted a couple, if you're somebody who likes having a whole bunch of different colors for your horse, it's a good option that way too. I mean, we're talking yeah. $10 here, I think, was the... Well, let me check. On Equestrian Collections, the price is ten ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> so. which is which is great. But you know what? I mean, you started to say the word cheap, and I, I, I kind of... I know that's sort of a taboo word, but it's a good word in this context because it's a breakaway yeah. halter. So, right, the... The point of the breakaway of the crown piece, the leather crown piece, is so that it gives in an emergency. It will break. The leather is more inclined to break than the nylon. But, you know, sometimes the fact that these halters are not super sturdy means that other parts of them will break as well. And so not obviously in everyday use, but in extreme stress, you know. So, again, and then should that happen, should it break anywhere, whether it's on the crown piece or some other, you know, moving part of the halter, $10, $11 to get another one is no big deal. It It's done its job. That's worth way more than $10. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I think it's a great everyday halter for that reason. Because um, I've always been taught to use a breakaway halter. I don't know that I've ever used a halter that isn't just because my first instructor is like, this is what you do because this, this, and this can happen. Well, two days ago, we had Nigel tied up in the aisle way, and Scooter came by. And, of course, Scooter, you know, being the bad boy, the little pony that he is, decided to, uh, you know, give Nigel the evil eye. And Nigel 
pulled back really hard and broke the crown piece on his halter, and he would have hung himself had he not. So, mm. I mean, we also on the ties have the baler twined at the top. You know, we have extra security, but the crown piece broke before anything. And and now this one, does it have a buckle on the chin strap, on the nose strap, so that it, you can you can adjust that too? It does. It's adjustable on the nose band and also on like you have pretty many holes on the leather strap to make it bigger, smaller. And is um, the uh, no one problem. Yeah, oh, go ahead. One problem I had is um, I have an Arabian, but my bridle and my current halter are both horse sizes. So I got this one in in the horse size as well, and it's too big for him. So you just want to make sure you check the sizing. I think he would probably be better in a cob. Because he's either like on the later holes of a cob or the really small size of a horse. It's kind of in between. So it does run a little bit on the bigger side, at least from what I've used. Okay. And they do tend to stretch out too when you use them and, you know, they get muddy and dirty and rainy. They do stretch a bit. Yeah. Very good. Well, this is, you can find it at equestriancollections.com. It's the Gatsby Classic Nylon Breakaway Halter with Snap. It has a real short name. Um, and you, you'll find it for ten ninety nine. I mean, and, and they're showing colors of brown, burgundy, green, hunter, navy, tan, purple, royal, blue, mint green, and orange. <laughs> so you have, hey, hunting season's coming up. Get a cheap halter, orange. For hunting season, that's coming up. So it would be great to have that. You can find it at equestriancollections.com. Thank you, Danielle. We appreciate it. Great review. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, as we announced last week on the show, you are getting married coming up quickly. Can you believe it? I'm getting married. It feels like I just got divorced. (laughs) (laughs) It does, actually. I don't it know hasn't, why. Though. It's I mean, been it's, years, it's, but it seems like, in, in some ways, it seems like 20 years ago, and in some ways, it seems like yesterday. I know. I know. Yes. Um, never. You know, I've been getting a few really nice notes from listeners um, via email and Facebook Messenger, just wishing me the best of luck and congratulations. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who's reached out to me with warm wishes. It means the world to me. And, um, and it means the world to Buck, too, because, of course, I share everyone with him. So we are, um, we're getting married on October 7th in Newport. We're doing, we're such a couple of punks. We're doing a pop-up wedding in the park. We're, we're just, we're just showing up with our wedding officiant <laughs> and uh, our kids and a friend and that's it. So there's going to be nine of us in total and we're just going to show up in the what park. What happens and- if there's like a rock concert going on that day? Well, we did check to see if there were any events. Okay, there. It's a tiny, it's actually, it's not exactly a, the kind of park that has a lot of events. It's more, it's actually, it's stunning. It's called Queen Anne Square. And if you Google it, you'll find beautiful photographs, but it's actually um, an artist's display. So it's open space, but um, there, you, you just have to Google it and read about it. It's, it's a tribute to the history of New England and then Newport in particular. But it's it's so Yankee and so perfect. You guys will love it. I'm looking at so, pictures of it now. It is pretty. And there's a big church at the end, so that's appropriate right there. That's the appropriate. The we don't have to go inside the yeah. church because the walls might fall down. Is but, there you know, a rain plan for... Uh... The rain plan is um, just down the street You're is gonna something You're going to do a pop-up called... wedding in the church? Hey, we're here! <laughs> yeah. Well, there's this place called the, the Siemens Church Institute, which is really... It's a safe haven for any seafaring people 
um, it's really open to anybody, but um, it was primarily built for mariners who needed a safe place in a storm, you know, um, of all, whatever that storm might be, whether it was a weather storm or a life or storm, an emotional storm. Or what, yeah, yeah. So they have this tiny little chapel that will serve as our plan B. And then there's a gazebo up the street, which is plan C. Well, you're this big podcaster in Newport now. Just call the breakers and say we're coming over. Well, that's what Buck wanted to do at first. I was like, <laughs> no, I don't. He's like, it could just be 10 people at the breakers. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, they have a big yard there. Uh, they have a big yard. So <laughs> with ocean going, views. <laughs> with them, we're going to dinner at um, a really fancy restaurant called 41 North, which is right on the waterfront. Oh, didn't you do a review on them? Um. You've, no. I, I've heard them mentioned. You've mentioned them. Uh, the name sticks out. We've been there before yeah. because uh, it's it's just a really nice restaurant in Newport. So you kind of have to hit it up at least once. You know, if you live around here, you got to go to 41 North. Um, and it's, you, you know, if, if we had a huge budget, we'd go to 41 North regularly. But right now we just, we can go for special events. But we'll do a dine and dish on 41 North for everybody. Um, but I'm really excited because... For all of my fashionista horse friends, you guys are going to love this. I am not wearing a white dress. Nope. I'm wearing a dress called Deep Harbor. And I'm going to has wear... fish on it? What? It has fish on it? Nope. No oh, fish. Okay. Okay. Nope. Deep no Harbor. Fish. That's funny. I'm going to wear, instead of a veil, I am such a punk. I don't, like, I couldn't... I couldn't even... Are you wearing a riding helmet? I should. I totally should. <laughs> I just almost, deck it out. You know, put, was, put oh, put the white the what what's the thing called you wear in your head as a bride? Um, the veil. Veil. Put the white veil on your helmet. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Well, I was thinking about That's wearing funny. my tall boots with my dress because that would be pretty cool. Um, no, I'm wearing um, peacock feather fascinator. My head. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be so British. <laughs> I'm thinking of Ascot, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm channeling a little bit of that. Ascot. You're channeling a little little Royals. Uh, <laughs> that's that cool. Oh, yeah, that's so, cool. And um, what's your your dress is blue. Is that what I got out of that? It's called Deep Harbor, so it's this like blue teal color. Which, oh, cool. Yeah. And what's Buck wearing? He's gonna wear a blue suit. Cool. And and has Gracie spent months picking out her outfit? Nope. We went to a lovely little thrift shop um, right here in Tiverton, Rhode Island, called Cutie Curls, and we oh, found cool. her a gorgeous dress to wear and oh, a cool. scarf and some jewelry. And we, we actually got like five things for her whole outfit and spent $25. You have the best thrift shops up there because you have rich people that give away their stuff after they wear it once. It's true. Yeah. It's a little different than the thrift shops we have down here. <laughs> And the woman who runs the shop, she's a great curator because she has a really good eye and a sense, a good sense of style. So she picks, I, I don't know how she does it, but pretty much everything in this thrift store, you can mix and match and it just goes together. It's great. When Helena and Jennifer worked together in Massachusetts, that was especially high-end thrift shops. Yeah. Uh, we're up there and they used to go shopping and, and they used to get these dresses and stuff and it used to be like 25 bucks. It's awesome. Uh, and, and literally, the rich people that owned them would wear them once and then donate them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't wear them more than once. So, Or if they wore them at all. There's a lot of stuff that's brand new with tags. The tags, yeah. yeah. You know, and when you have a growing 13-year-old, you, you, you really, I can't be spending money every week on something. She grows out of stuff. 
Right. She's even grown out of my stuff, so I can't even lend her my clothes anymore. She she grew out of my tall boots already. <laughs> the only thing she has not grown out of, because I'm a little fuller in the butt, is my my breeches. She's got to wear her own breeches. <laughs> well, very cool. Congratulations. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to see pictures. Yep, we'll have them. All right, good. And are you going on a honeymoon immediately or anytime? No, um, we will be... We take a trip in the spring, every spring, to the Caribbean. So this spring's trip will be our sort of delayed honeymoon. We're just going to spend the weekend in Newport, though, and bounce around. Actually, it's kind of romantic. We're going to go hit up all the places that we visited during our courtship, our four-year-long courtship. Didn't you meet in Newport? We did, yeah, quite by accident. Yeah. Well, we met, we met actually under different circumstances that might his daughter was my trainer. <laughs> so that was how we met. But our first date was completely by accident. And that was in Newport. Can you go to the Tennis Hall of Fame for me and see it? Because I still haven't seen it all the trips we've made to Newport. Yes, we're going to do a feature on the Tennis Hall of Fame because we met um, one of the tennis pros who works there right now. We oh, met cool. Him, we met him at the Yacht Me Party on the houseboat. And I think they just redid that in recent years. They... They did. It yeah. was like a multi-million dollar renovation. It's beautiful. It is it's a beautiful really spot. Cool. I mean, it's just like in the middle of the city, and then you have this little o- oasis of beautiful tennis courts. <laughs> and they're, they're, if I remember right, they're grass. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. So they're beautiful it's green tennis, tennis courts. It's 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 and it's neat. I can't wait. Next time we come up, we're going to the Tennis Hall of Fame. Honestly, Newport is the most fun you can have. That's not on horseback. I, I'm like, I can, if I could spend all of my time on horses, of course I would. <laughs> But since I have to be on land every now and again, um, I totally love Newport. I mean, that's why we started the podcast. Um, I think just- you would live there if you could find a spot that was affordable, which is not happening in Newport, and you could keep your horses. Which yeah, is I would totally problem. live there, but <laughs> now I'll never give up my farm. <laughs> no, I know. You love your farm, and you should. It's cute. It's really cute. It's perfect you. It and really my is. ponies. And your ponies. They're all roly and poly. <laughs> well, congratulations again. We're very, very excited for you guys. Thank you. All right, that's about it for today. And remember, join us Friday. Give us a call, 9.30 to 10.30 at Horses in the Morning. Just go to the website. The The phone number's right on there. And, uh, you know, just say hi. Just, what, you know, why you like the shows, what you like about podcasting. It's International Podcast Day and our 5,000th episode. So we're just celebrating. Uh, so join us and have a little fun. Of course, you can find all the details about today's show at stablescoop.com. Go buy the book. This would make a great Christmas gift too if somebody hasn't mm. read it already. The Perfect Horse. If they're in, if you're interested in history at all, I know I'm talking a lot about this book, but I'm loving this book, and it really does have five stars with eighty reviews, which nobody gave it less than five stars. And I'm going to write a review on Amazon here shortly too, as soon as I finish it. Can't wait to see what happens next. And I know what happens. That's the thing. I know. You I know? know. But she's such a good storyteller. It doesn't matter. It's a you, historical you... drama, and she really makes it a historical drama. Yeah. So it's cool. Uh, That's it. All right, Helena, we got to go. We got to go. It was fun, Glenn. Um, Thanks, everybody, for following along. There'll be more next week. Until then, happy scooping. (laughs) 